Over the lead up to Christmas, we are going to be rolling through this series called uh, A Christmas Playlist. It's based out of a little book that was written by Alistair Begg. Uh, He put this book together and it's, you know, called A Christmas Playlist. So footnotes and credit to Alistair Begg because I'm using his material uh, in this book as the basis uh, for this series. It's a series that's going to be looking at uh, four songs that we find at the beginning of Luke's gospel that help us kind of interpret, help us kind of understand uh, all the activity of the story of Christmas, but from its original sources, from those who were actually there, those who were involved in the birth of Jesus, like his parents, those who came and helped interpret the significance of that birth, of what they actually saw, what God had laid on their hearts. Guys like our song today, um, Zachariah and, and Simeon, not next week, but the next week after. And even a song from heaven itself as angels come to give description of, of the why uh, you know, God has entered the world. And people like to say that Christmas is a magical time. I guess that's where angels fit in. It's full of wonder and giving and goodwill. That's what we like to say. It's a time to suspend uh, all the burdens, all the burdens that burden us, uh, that cripple us, you know, that tear us apart, all these things that go on throughout the year. It's a sentimental season where we think by a little bit of wrapping paper is going to cover up all a year's worth of crazy Well, as we look at these songs, we will find that the message of Christmas is not actually to pretend that all is well. You know, just get your house tidy, get all your food on point, go and grab that, uh, you know, Christmas selfie while the family's all still talking to each other and, and try and give some sense to the world that we're all normal. The message of Christmas that we get from these songs is that God knows what's behind the scenes. God knows you. God knows that we need help. He knows that we're not really on the good list. He knows that we are messed up, but he has come anyway. Christmas has become this historic event because the world is a dark place. Things aren't great. We struggle. We suffer. And Christmas lets us know that God knows this, and he sees this, and he hears this, and he's chosen to get involved. God has come because We need him. Christmas means that we live in a world that has actually been visited by its creator. God has shown up to heal all that we have harmed, to bring peace to all that we have set at war. Christmas is about the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to, to guide our feet to the way of peace. Peace with God and peace with each other. No wonder the first people that were involved in this first Christmas exploded into song like the lyrics that we've just read now. And Luke has written them all up in what we're calling Luke's uh, Christmas playlist that Alistair has put into this book. Hey, let's pray and uh, we'll get at this song that Bronte's read to us this morning. Loving God, once again, uh, we come before you in prayer as we have already, but just that now as we, as we get in and as we look into your word, that, that, that its truth uh, would come to us, would rest on our hearts, that we would be convicted by it, that we would be comforted by it, but most of all, we would see uh, who you are, uh, how you are for us in these, in these words. And we just pray this now in Jesus' name. All right, going to going to try something here 
As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realize it's, there's nothing left because I've been blasting and laughing so long that even my mama thinks that my mind is gone. Yeah, Dave, you know it. What song's that, Dave? A hack of a job, but what are we, who's, who sang that? Anyone? Why? These things don't work unless you're kind of pop culturally astute. Come on. Coolio, Gangster's Paradise. All right, maybe it's a generational thing. Let's try this. <laughs> Old man, take a look at my life. I'm a lot like you were. Old man, take a look at my life. I'm a lot like you were. Yeah, what's the name of the song? Good work. Okay, what about this one? This is generation. This one should span generations. Somebody once told me the world was gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shrek. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> ah, close, Dave. All star, smashing pumpkins. Just made myself vulnerable there, singing away to you guys, hoping it would work. <laughs> Uh, I've never been so afraid of a start of a sermon. <laughs> the point, what is the point? The point is that song lyrics stick in our head. If we've known them in that generation, if we, if we, if we were into Coolio and Gangster's Paradise, they stick in our heads. Uh, a, song, a song lyric and a song is a great way to memorize words, to memorize a message, and they, and they can transport you back to a time and a place where they were sung. My kids cannot remember. If I, they jump in the car and I go, what did you learn today? Look at me and go, oh, I've got no idea. But they can sing word perfect to a four-hour playlist on their Spotify. They know every word of these songs. They hear the first line of a, of a favorite song come on in the car and it's like, oh, this song is a banger, you know, turn that beat up, Dad, let's go. Well, I'm not sure if that's how people reacted to uh, the song that Zechariah opened, to these opening lines of Zechariah's song uh, that he penned for us about this Christmas narrative. But when we, when we hear these lyrics, when we hear these lines, they, they take us into the Christmas narrative. They take us into... That space. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. These lyrics also contain two words that capture the heart of the Christmas message and should make us kind of want to stop and sit and, and listen and, 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 turn, and ask to turn that song up. The opening line of Zechariah's song, which is actually known as the Benedictus, Let's us know that not only has God visited our planet, but why we need God to visit our planet so that he can redeem his people. This is a visit with a purpose. Christmas is the story of a visit with a purpose that actually comes about out of years and years and years of promises. God has entered into our broken experience, into the world that he created to redeem it, to raise up a means of salvation. If you want to understand the why of Christmas, the first Christmas, God's visitation, you need to understand redemption as God's mean of salvation. This is a song about the, the why. Christmas, Christmas brings God's redeeming salvation to us. Why? Why has he come? Why has this happened? Alistair Begg explains to us 
the why, the redemption, is an act of providing payment uh, to free someone. Or as Phil Riken puts it in his commentary, he says, the word redemption means to be released from bondage through the payment of a price. Zacharias sings us through the history of, of, of the salvation promise around this, the history of God's redemptive work. And to give us a context and an explanation of, of what God is doing in the present situation, he, he sings back over history so that we can understand and identify what's going on now. And all, all good songs have a backstory. Verses 70 to 75 recall how God in the past has promised to save and to redeem his people. It's a promise that goes back through King David. It's a promise that goes all the way back to Abraham. It's a song that spans some 2,000 years of God's concern for us and his promise that he will save and redeem us from our, from our enemies in order that people could once again serve him without fear, that we could, there'd be no barriers between us and God, that we'd be able to come to him, that we would be able to know him, to be in relationship with him. Over that journey, God's people have known many external enemies, but the greatest of these was probably Egypt and its pharaoh. That is also where we get the greatest picture of how God redeems and what redemption is. It's a story that no one could not conjure up the second, the moment they hear the lyrics from this song of Zechariah. It's the history of God's people being held in unbreakable slavery and bondage and, and power by, by a person, by a regime, if you like, that had no care or concern that they be able to live in relationship with God, that they be able to worship God. They'd forgotten the very fact that they only exist because God's people had blessed them in the first place. But for Pharaoh, the state was God. And people served him and they served his plans, which were manifest, which he made possible through, through the enslavement and the abuse of God's people. And Exodus tells us how God exercised his power through a series of plagues in con that contrasts the power and the authority of Pharaoh until eventually Pharaoh had to let his people go, allow God's people to go free in order that they would now be able to go and live in relationship with God and worship God. God redeems, but he redeems with a purpose. He redeems us to the life that he designed us for. It's the last plague that we get the biblical picture of redemption from. God has warned that unless his people are freed, that the oldest son of every family will die. Interestingly, this includes the Hebrew people. They are not outside the scope of God's judgment against human corruption. But as always, before God executes judgment, he provides a gracious provisions, a means to avoid judgment, to, 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 to avoid his judgment, to acknowledge that your need of mercy and forgiveness on this occasion, the life of the firstborn son can be substituted for the life of a lamb. Their life can be redeemed at the cost of the life of a lamb. You ever kind of wonder why we're always referencing Jesus as a lamb? We sung about it this morning, and here's the context. It's blood to mark the doors of all those who have trust in this provision. And as they did, God's judgment passes over their home. That's where we get that story of the Passover from. That's the, the story that led into communion. That's where the link is. Passed over the home of both Hebrew 
and Egyptians. There's no mention that Egyptians cannot participate in this. And as we see in the Exodus, that many Egyptians leave with God's people. A mixed multitude actually leaves Egypt. What saves God's people, indeed what saves all people, is not that they're Hebrew, is not that they're, you know, their, their dad was a pastor, their uncle played piano for Billy Graham. Not their heritage. It's their recognition that they need redeeming from sin through God's gracious provision. And Zechariah's song is saying that God is about to act again to redeem people, only this time it's, it's very clear that it's not from some earthly power, not from uh, some earthly enemy, but from internal slavery and power, the enemy of sin. Zechariah sings that, that his own son will prepare the way for this to happen by calling people to an awareness and a knowledge of their need of salvation and through the forgiveness of their sins. We need this. We need to be redeemed from this because we're not capable of it ourselves. We, we need somebody else to come in and do this for us. Well, the topic of sin is never a comfortable one. You're probably all thinking... Mason, it's Christmas. Why are, you, why, why, are we, why are we getting into this? Because Christmas gets into this. Christmas actually sings about this. But the topic of sin tends to see people kind of switch off, their eyes kind of roll over in indignation or, or patronization of such an such a, you know, old kind of a concept. Yet the Bible unabashedly uses this description of sin to describe the human condition. And to be perfectly honest, as Alistair Begg puts it in his book, it's a great little line, it's the only description that explains what we see around us and what we see within us. It's a condition that accounts for the darkness in the world and the ugliness of our own actions at some times. Sin is, at essence, Pharaoh. It's people putting themselves where God should be. It's putting ourselves in a place that God should occupy. It's a place of authority and majesty, a place to run our own lives with autonomy, charting our own courses, ignoring anything God has to say. It's saying to God in faked politeness or just outright defiance, I don't want you. I don't need your word, your instruction. I don't need to obey and I won't obey your design. I am going to call the shots. Sin is simply not living as God designed us. It is to miss the mark on how we were created to live. Sin is something that we choose, and yet sin is also something that enslaves us. It traps us. Zechariah is singing a song about how Christmas begins the fulfillment of our redemption from this slavery, from this mark missing. Christmas tells us why we need God. Because God alone can save us. God alone can redeem us. That's why God came and not another teacher, not another prophet, not another sage or some moralist, social reformer type. We didn't need another visit from someone like that. Our great problem is not that we lack education. It's not that we don't have social welfare. It's not that we lack self-esteem. We have been seeing uh, these things as redeemers and saviors since time began. And yet, no amount of increase in these areas has seen us any better. For all our permissiveness, for all our progressiveness, 
our self-actualization, our welfare and education, things with increasing measure still manage to get spoiled. And that is because sin spoils everything. Sin spoils good things. It alienates relationships. It allows for abuse in people and creation. It corrupts power. It spoils everything because it causes us to miss the mark of how these things were designed to be. And each time we miss the mark, we spoil our own lives and we spoil the lives of those around us. It's why when we gather for Christmas, even in these magically choreographed moments, you know, table all set, Bing Crosby uh, playing in the background. It's why Christmas meals can still be spoiled. And I don't just mean the food, I mean the conversations. Marriages can still explode. Friendships all fall apart. Sin spoils with a relentless indifference. It's why we still indulge in excess, over-experience, over-spending, addictions, abuse, looking for something to fill the space that sin has created in us. Sin actually creates a void. It doesn't fill up. And it's made us restless. But as Alistair Begg points out, this spoiledness is not the most serious aspect of sin. Sin has also crippled our ability to know God, to be in relationship with God. It separates us from God. It's what makes us autonomous kings. Sin is an active agency that's at work in our hearts, waging war against our need of God, waging war against the idea that God is for us, that God is a good thing. That's what Paul talks about in the book of Romans. It keeps us from God, both in our present life and in our eternal life. That's why it's such a serious thing. Sin is our greatest problem because it separates us from God now and eternally. A God who made us to know him and delight in him. And it causes us to ruin and spoil everything that he created, everything that he gave to us, everything that we should delight in and enjoy. Begg explains that while sin is our greatest problem, it's also our greatest insight into why we are the way we are. Because we are created by a mighty and loving God, we are capable of great things. Uh, We are capable of great kindness. But because we reject God's authority to define the potential in these areas, we find that we're also capable of great selfishness. We're capable of great evil. Sin explains what we see around us and what we see in us but not in a futile way because Christmas tells us that God has come to redeem this mess. There is hope. We were designed to enjoy life with God eternally, but all we find, uh, but what we find is we find ourselves living in defiance to God, trying to fill the space that he should have, fill it with stuff, fill it with experience, achievement, relationships, making good things ultimate things. And at the same time, we find that none of these things have an enduring, uh, sustaining, deeply satisfying comfort or confidence. So we're anxious at the same time. We're fearful. We simply have no peace. We need God to redeem us. 
to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to, to guide our feet to peace. Christmas tells us that God cares about our sin and how our sin spoils the world that he made and how our sin spoils the lives that we have and the lives of those around us that he has also made. God cares about how we react, reject his authority and seek to sit in his place. It's something that makes him justifiably angry. The sin is not something we would expect God just to simply overlook or, or just reason away, even, if, even in others, certainly not in ourselves. Who would want a God like that anyway? Who would want a God that would just kind of like, oh, well, no biggie? God's own character demands that, that he not only love justice, but that he exercise justice. There is a price to be paid, a punishment to be faced for our sin. This brings us back to Zechariah's song. Christmas means that God has not come to execute uh, justice through condemning us. Christmas means God plans to execute justice through, through redeeming us, through, through paying the price for us. God has come to rescue God has not come to read out a charge sheet of your sins. He has, not, he has actually come to wipe that record clean, to show ultimate mercy through forgiveness. Uh, Chandler, in one of his books, Matt Chandler says, God has not shown up to tell you that he doesn't like you, but he has come actually to tell you that he loves you. If we are to hear Zechariah's song in its context, we must let its context set its meaning and not our contemporary society. We must understand that we need God to deal with our sin on our behalf. And that means traveling from the manger to the cross. At the beginning of Christianity is a manger, but at the heart of Christianity is a cross. And at the cross, we find another story of substitutionary atonement that redeems those who trust in its provision not from earthly oppressions and regimes, but from sin, from self. And here is why God has come into our world. As one of us, as a baby, he would grow into a man who would know what it means to be human and yet still never know what it means to be sinful so that he could bear our sins for us, so that he could pay the price for sin, so he could be the means of redeeming us back into relationship with God taking away the distance, removing the barriers so that we can once again live as we were designed to live in peace with God, in deep satisfaction, loving relationship with him and with each other. To have your life redeemed from slavery and sin and all it spoils is really to have something to sing about. It changes the song of our lives from I did it my way to blessed be the Lord, the God of his people. For he has visited and redeemed his people and guided, provided a means for them to know peace. Let's pray. Loving God, as we sit here and as we think about this song, that you have visited your people to redeem them. We have to face the question of why on earth would you do that? And it's because we need redeeming. It's because we are sinful and separated. We are spoilt and separated. 
But what the Christmas story tells us is that you're a God who doesn't want to just crush us for that, but wants to, wants to cure us, wants to heal us, wants to make us whole again, wants to bring us back into life with him. It's, it's a life that we can never really fully get our heads around until we actually live in it and experience it. And so our hearts actually sing now because we understand that sin is not something that we need to hide from or need to try and explain away. It's just something that we need to put on the table before you and let you deal with. And we give you thanks for that because you're a God who who stoops down, who gets into our lives. And this morning and this month as we head into Christmas, would we just be mindful of this song? Would we give thanks for a God who visited us to redeem us? We just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.